Hello and welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. In this episode, we talk about the Mauryan Empire from 321 to 185. It's going to be a short one today. And so um, this is a great big history podcast. Glad that you can join us. You can find us at greatbighistory.com. I am professor of history at Candom County College. So I teach History 101. This is the class I'm teaching. I also teach History 102 in the spring. And so let's get going. The Mauryan Empire, M-A-U-R-Y-A-N Empire from 321 to 185 A.D. Remember when I said... Foreign invaders... United India, this is the exception. This is my asterisk. This is the Indians make India. The Mauryan Empire is a native Indian dynasty that will conquer India and create an, an empire. And yet, there's an asterisk to my asterisk. So we have to talk about that. Well, when you see 320, whenever you see 320 BC, BCE, you should know one thing. It's kind of like the 1940s. When you see the 1940s, you think Hitler. There are other things going around, but there's Hitler. When you see 320 BC, BCE, you, it's Alexander. When you see year one, you should think Jesus. There are certain time periods that are associated with a person who so dominates that time period that much of the discussion of that time period is about them. So whenever you see 320, you have to know Alexander is doing stuff. And what he's doing is conquering the Persian Empire, first Greece, then the Persian Empire, and then India. And so the Mauryan Empire is going to end up conquering the rest of India. And it's based upon two things. One is... A conquering king, Sandragupta, C-H-A-N-D-R-A-G-U-P-T-A, Sandragupta, Sandragupta Mora. And Greek technology. Sanjagupta is a young man, and there's great stories about this. There's these apocryphal stories which have, like, he's the young man to, to the middle-aged Alexander, and he's like, oh, we'll be best friends, we'll be homeboys. He's an ally of Alexander. Not the most important one, but he's an ally. He's a young kid. He sees himself as a new Alexander. But basically what happens is Alexander has to leave. He gets to the bottom of India, he gets to the bottom of the Indus, he f discovers that the Ganges exist and there are other Indian empires, and he's like, oh, let's go conquer those. And his men mutiny. His men sit down and they say, it's been 10 years, we've walked 12,000 miles, I don't even know where my home is anymore, my, wife's, my wife has forgotten me, and my kids call somebody else Papa. I want to go home. I want to spend the enormous amount of money I am owed from conquering the richest place on earth. And Alexander went into his tent for three days. 
came out and said, I have made a decision. And the men went, what? We are going to go home. And the men went, woo! He said, I'm going to lead you. And the men went, woo! And everybody was happy. But here's the thing. If you're going to leave, like, think about when you, you go away and you leave your dog. You can't bring your dog with you on vacation. So what do you do? Are you going to just pick some dude off the street who happens to have a dog too? Or are you going to leave them with someone you trust? A kennel, a family member, someone you trust to take care of them. You're going to leave it with someone you trust. And the, the, the Macedonians and the Greeks, they all want to go west. They all want to go home. They don't really want to stay in India. India is the far end of their map. They like Greece. They like Macedon. Everybody loved Egypt. Egypt is awesome. India? India is different from every place they've been. It has a rainy season and a wet season. It doesn't have seasons. It just rains all the time or not. It's got jungles. It's got elephants. It's just like, ugh. yeah, it was cool. We conquered it, but I don't want to be here. There's too many people who aren't Greeks, who aren't Europeans. And it's just like, it's too far away. And so we want to go home. So we got to leave it with somebody. And Sandra Gupta comes along and says, hey, leave it with me. I'll, I'll listen to you. I t and he totally means it. Totally means it. He's not going to revolt against Alexander. Totally going to be a homeboy of Alexander. And Alexander's like, great, this is cool. I set up Persians in the Persian Empire. I can set up in India and in India. That's awesome. I've got Greek governors in various different places. It's going to be great. And that's and but Sandra Gupta says, "Hey, well, can I can I ask you to leave me some of that awesome new Greek technology, especially that siege equipment that you use?" And Alexander says, "Sure, I don't need any more. I conquered the world. I conquered my map. I'm going home." Now, what happens is Alexander dies. He dies in Babylon, probably of malaria. His body exhausted by the crazy amount of living he did from the sex, from the drugs, from the drinking, to the partying, to the government, to the warrior, to the fighting. There are few people who can claim to have lived a life as full of stuff as Alexander. And he died in his 30s. He died in his early 30s. Um, which is not particularly young in his day and age. You, ex you could live, you, if you lived to be 40, you were an old person, so you were happy to live to 40. If you got beyond that, hey, congratulations. Um, and so he dies probably of malaria in Babylon. He had no heirs. He had a he had a an Afghan, a Bactrian wife who had a bun in the oven, but nobody knew if that was going to be a boy or a girl, and it was going to be a little while before that happened. And so what happened is, his generals started to fight it out. They fell. They all argued over who should be in charge, and then they started warring with each other. Well, as they're warring with each other out there in the east, the Sandra Gupta be like, "Hey, guys." Who's in charge? Who's the new Alexander? Who's Alex part two? 
Anybody want to tell me anything what's going on? And everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We got, we got things to do. Uh, uh, Ptolemy is, is stole the body of Alexander and took it to Egypt. Seleucus is murdering his mentor. I mean, crazy stuff is happening. Then Seleucus gets murdered. Just crazy stuff is happening. And it's all happening in the West. It's all happening in Greece, Turkey, Greece and Macedon, Turkey, uh, Asia Minor, the Levant, Syria, Phoenicia, Lebanon, uh, Palestine, Israel, and Egypt. It's all happening there. That's where the action is. And out there in India, it's like, oh, well, you know. There's a Bactrian, a Greek Bactrian kingdom who's like, well, I guess we'll go into business for ourselves and they're going to conquer themselves Afghanistan. Lay claim to the Indus River. But Sanjagupta is going to take that Greek tech and he's going to conquer India. He's going to conquer the Indus River. Then he's going to jump across to the Ganges and he's going all the way to the Bend of Bengal and then he's going to go head south. He's going to conquer much of the subcontinent. Well, he's a great conqueror. He used that Greek technology. He went into business for himself because there was no Alexander and the, the Greeks were perfectly fine with like him just doing whatever he wanted to do. Um, he basically buys his independence from Seleucus with like 250 war elephants. He's like, here, I'll give you 250 war elephants. You just stop telling, you stop thinking you can tell me what to do. And Seleucus is like, yeah, you're so far away. You're like 2,000 miles away. You're going to do what you want to do anyway. So it's like when you don't live at home anymore, you get your own apartment and all that, but you still agree to like have Sunday dinner or Thanksgiving with your parents. Your parents know they can't stop you from doing any of the crazy stuff you're looking forward to doing at your apartment. You're on your own. You're too far away for them to monitor. So they, so basically, they bought you. They, they gave you what you already had by making you give them something, a token. Oh, you, you show up on Thanksgiving. Well, so, well, you know, so Lucas needed the war elephants. Sanjagupta had plenty, and he had his independence. There was no way Seleucus was going to take his army and march all the way to India. It just wasn't going to happen. So they come to an agreement where they both agree, well, you know, this is the way things are, and there's a token exchange, and boom, moving on. Everyone goes back to their life as normal. So Sanjagupta is a great conqueror. So he has a son, and his son says, I want to be like Daddy, who wants to be a great conqueror. So he starts conquering part of India, and he has a son, and that son says, I want to be like Grandpa, and I want to be like Dad. And that son is Ashoka, A-S-H-O-K-A, -A -A, Ashoka. And Ashoka says, I'm going to conquer stuff like Dad. I'm going to conquer stuff like Grandpa. And he conquers a city. By tradition, it's the city of Orissa, O-R-I-S-S-A. Major city, important city. And what follows is a sack. What follows is the utter destruction of the populace. They burn the city to the ground, they murder the people, rape the women. It, it is awful, as sacks are. If you ever watch Game of Thrones, they talk about what happens when a city is sacked, when King's Landing is sacked, was sacked in the last war, is going to be sacked in uh, the Battle of the Brightwater. What happens? And it's never pleasant. When you see sacked, it means death, destruction, looting, 
and murder and rape. Terrible things happen to the defeated. And Ashoka looks at this and is horrified and doesn't want to be a conqueror anymore, if that's what it means. He's done. Well, that's a problem because that's a problem of legitimacy. His grandpa was a conqueror. His dad was a conqueror. Morian kings are conquerors. You don't get to retire that. You have to replace it with something. And so he decides to replace it with Buddhism. Now we're going to talk about Buddhism next in our next subject. But he replaces it with Buddhism. Why? Because the foundational value of Buddhism is happiness. Finding happiness. Obtaining happiness. Now, I have to tell you, the Buddhist concept of happiness is not your concept, your Western American concept of happiness, where you feel pleasure. And you're like, woo, yeah, 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 everything's great. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. No. Happiness in the Buddhist idea is a lack of suffering, a lack of bad stuff happening, and being at peace with the bad stuff that does happen. So it's acceptance of bad stuff that does happen, coming to peace with that, and a lack of bad stuff happening. That's happiness. It's not... No one's, no, one's, no one's getting a number one hit song and winning a Grammy off of, off, of this, off the Buddhist concept of happiness. It's just not happening. But the idea of Buddhism is it's a different form of legitimacy. I can be a Buddhist king. I can help you live a better life. I can help you obtain happiness. And you go, happiness? You mean not suffering? That would be awesome. And so what he does is invest in culture, in education, in the new legitimacy that's going to be based on knowledge. And he's going to build monasteries and uh, Buddhist temples and statues all over India. He's going to make Buddhism into a major religion, a major philosophy. Why? Well, if you want to make people's lives better, education is the number one way. Make them smarter. They can get better jobs. They can do better things. Or even if they can't because you're in the caste system, have a better job, do a better, get a better job, you can at least do your job better. You could be more impressive in your group. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. In the land of the illiterate, the one guy who can read is a king. And so education is huge for pride, for social advancement, for success. Even if you can't change jobs and can't change castes, it still makes your life better. And who are the educated people? The educated people are Buddhist monks. They have to read the Buddhist texts. They have studied them. They have to be literate. And so, boom, he just, you go to where the smart people are. This is, this is Charlemagne going to the Catholic Church in the 800s and saying, okay, I'm going to give you a, a boatload of money, a whole boat of money. In exchange, you got to teach some people what you think. And teachers love that. You will never meet a teacher who says, oh, no, 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 you're giving me too much money to do my job well. 
You just, you just, it's just too much. Teachers in every society, in every time, always say, I can do such awesome stuff if I had more resources. Just give me some more money. I could get better books. I could have better lighting. I could do a more dramatic presentation. I can do just, just look at, look at this. We have podcasts, we have video casts, we have, but to do that, how many thousands of dollars did I have to spend on equipment? From the computer to record it, to the software to record it, to the microphones to record it, to the cables, to everything. And if I had more money, I could hire people who can make even cooler YouTube videos with animation and transitions. And it wouldn't be just a slideshow. It'd be awesome. So teachers are always saying, if I only had more money, more time. And here comes a dude saying, I am going to give you money like you've never seen. And in exchange, you have to do your job and you have to teach other people. Well, hell, man, I'll do that. That's easy. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I want to do. And so what happens is the monasteries get funded. You get more monks teaching more people, spreading more Buddhist ideas. And Buddhism becomes a major force in Indian culture. And Ashoka changes what it means to be a leader. He changes what it means to be an Indian king. No longer are you a conqueror. But your legitimacy now is to help people have a better life, especially through culture, through knowledge, through education, to help people. This is why today, right now, uh, Bhutan, the king of Bhutan, has a concept, has the Buddhist concept, that he's not even going to bother with gross domestic product, GDP, Gross domestic product, like how wealthy your country is, how much stuff it produces. No, the measurement he cares about, the assessment he wants, is happiness, gross domestic happiness. How happy are my people? Not how many goods do they produce. And he's got a fair argument. Because you know who produces a lot of goods? Slaves. Slaves produce a lot of goods that are worth a lot of money. And how happy are they? Exactly. Slaves in all of history have never been happy being slaves because someone else profits from their work. They're efficient. They get their work done. Otherwise, they get punished. And the gross domestic product in your economy doesn't care how it was produced. Child labor... Slavery doesn't matter it counts what's produced and the value of those things that are produced so it changes how you think about the world rather than being economically driven the king of bhutan wants it to be socially driven emotionally driven he wants people to be happy even if they don't make lots of goods even if they aren't the real wealthiest people on the subcontinent he if they're happy then he says, I've done my job. That's my job, is to make you happy. And that's what Ashoka did. Change the nature of legitimacy. All right, in our next episode, we're going to talk about Buddhism. Thank you. <laughs>